Yes. Good morning. And uh, Daniel chapter 4, moving right along. See if I can get everything on here without it falling down. So, uh, okay. So Daniel chapter 4, remember I think the very first uh, week I taught this, I mentioned that Daniel is one of the most attacked books in the Bible as far as uh, what, what we call the, the higher criticism, which is the uh, discipline of studying where manuscripts come from, who wrote them, and at what time period. And according to the higher critics, Daniel was written probably in about 150 B.C., so 450 years after the actual Daniel. They, they believe that Daniel was a fictional character, that the book is just allegories telling nice stories, and uh, they poke a lot of, try to poke a lot of holes in it. Uh, right from the beginning, they poked, they, they poked at Daniel. He said he got the date wrong for Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the fiery furnace. They say that's impossible. Of course it is impossible, except with God, right? With God, all things are possible. Now, with this one, they, the critics are saying there is no evidence at all that Nebuchadnezzar ever had this lapse in judgment or that he went mad for seven years. And I'm not going to try to uh, prove the Bible true. The Bible is true. I don't have to defend a lion when he gets attacked. I just let the lion do his thing. And the same with the Bible. I don't have to defend it. But sometimes we do need to answer the critics because they get a little bit up here and, and, and they're off base. There are some answers to their criticism about Nebuchadnezzar's madness. They say there is no evidence to support it in history. And that's probably, in a way, that would be true. Uh, for example, if, or, or let's, these, these people were uh, proud and they're not going to record uh, things that are embarrassing to them. Uh, like, if I were to write the Bible, I would probably leave a lot of things out that God left in, like David's indiscretions. And David, the man after God's own heart, Pastor was talking about this yesterday, he's the man after God's own heart, but yet look at some of the things he did. Committed adultery, then murdered the husband of the man who he committed adultery with. Those things are kind of embarrassing, but God leaves it in, warts and all, because the Bible is about God. It's not about David. We read that, and we don't look at it and say, well, how can God exalt this man? It's, it's what God did in spite of what David did. So the book is about God. And here, uh, the critics, this one here is kind of a, it came up, it, I think about 1975, this uh, doorstop was discovered. It has an inscription on it. Uh, and it reads, you can see the, the, uh, the, the trans, transposing of the word of the uh, doorstop there, but the words here, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the restorer of the temple Sagili and the temple Zeda, the eldest son of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon I am. For the god Nabu, the supreme lord, the lengthener of the day of my rule, Zeta, his temple in Borshepa, afresh I build. And this was dedicated to that temple when, when uh, Nebuchadnezzar built it. It's a little problematic to us, too, as defenders of the scripture, because when we read Daniel, at the end we're left with a question. Did Nebuchadnezzar truly come to faith in the one, the true and the living God? And I, I can't judge his heart. I can only judge what I see. But if this is true, and this is an article from Redwood City, California, 1984, about this doorstop, and they acknowledge the doorstop not only has inscribed on it the name of Nebuchadnezzar, but also mentions his health or restoration of health. So the thought is, is that after Nebuchadnezzar was healed of this seven years of madness, he dedicated this to the temple of a pagan god in Borsippia. That's where the problem is to us. 
Now we have to do, we have to say, well, does that defend by Daniel? Does Daniel conclude that Nebuchadnezzar came to faith in the true and the living God? Uh, I can't speak for Nebuchadnezzar. I can only read the words and tell you what it says. Uh, now Ray Stedman says another. I guess you could call this an argument from uh, silence. There's a seven-year silent period from 582 to 575. And uh, I'll just read it to you. Uh, <clears throat> Some dismiss the account of Nebuchadnezzar's madness as unhistorical, but there is no historical record of his governmental activity between 582 and 575. This silence is deafening, especially when we keep in mind how Near Eastern leaders like to egotistically trumpet their achievements and hide their embarrassments. So the, the argument is from silence, but nevertheless it's there, and it's a pretty loud, silent argument that Nebuchadnezzar, and you'll see later, that he kept records of all of his accomplishment. I dare say this. He was the Donald Trump of, of, uh, of Bethlehem, or of... Uh, of uh, his time, because he he made it known whatever he did, he thumped his chest and said, "I did this, I did this," and uh, there's seven years where he didn't say anything about what he did. So, pretty definite. Uh, then there's the uh, argument that maybe he did have a disease, and there is a disease called clinical lycanthropy. Anybody heard of that? It's uh, it's a it's a psychological disorder. People believe they either can become an animal, have become an animal, or they are an animal. It can be a wolf. And, uh, and this is the werewolf thing. Uh, that's, that's where that, all that werewolf stuff came from, is clinical lycanthropy. And not to say that God can't use a disease to, to do that, or turn him over to a demon that allowed this to happen. That's what I believe happened to him. God let, you know, let the demons have him and have their way with him. This is what you want? Here, let me show you what it's like. Nebuchadnezzar's pride and his arrogance. There's, uh, there's no argument that he was a proud and arrogant man. Uh, <clears throat> the city of Babylon. These are, these are some uh, artists' rendition. Uh, like, what do you call that? Uh, graphic computer graphics, and he did this, are beautiful, and he did it for the National Geographic, and these are just some of the things, you'll see this next week when we talk about uh, Babylon and how the uh, Medes and the Persians took Babylon. This is, this is what, what the city would have looked like, and he based it on historical evidence and current excavations and what's there now, and he probably, uh, like anybody writing without all the information, had to add some stuff, but but it had a moat around it. That's the Euphrates River running right through the middle of it. Canal running runs around it for irrigation. That would be the Ishtar Gate. Uh, it's beautiful. So Nebuchadnezzar, this is what, when he's standing on his rooftop, looking out and saying, look at the great Babylon that I have created for my majesty. And you have to admit, it's pretty awe-inspiring. One of his temples, uh, Borsipia, by the way, where he sent that doorstop, was about 20 miles outside the city. It, perhaps you'd call it a uh, suburb of Babylon. We'll just go through these quick, just to have a look. Uh, it's, it's said that, that that's a double wall, and two chariots could run side by side the whole length of the wall around the city. One historian estimated that the size of Babylon was equivalent to modern-day Chicago. So it's a pretty good-sized city. Uh, in Toronto, at the, road, at the Royal Ontario Museum, uh, they've got these two bricks. And uh, apparently, they found some 15... or They haven't found 15 million, but they estimate that there were about 15 million of these bricks used to build the wall and the city of Babylon. Uh, one historian wrote, he said, I've examined 
the bricks belonging to perhaps a hundred different towns and cities in the neighborhood of Baghdad. Baghdad's about 50 kilometers north of uh, Babylon. Uh, and I never found any other legend other than that of Nebuchadnezzar, son of Nabopolassar, king of Babylon. Nine-tenths, or 90% of all the bricks amid the ruins of Babylon are stamped with his name. So, so he did like to thump his chest and say, look what I've done. Here's another one of his chest thumps. He says, I built a strong wall that cannot be shaken <clears throat> with bitumen and baked bricks. I laid its foundation on the breast of the netherworld and I built its top as high as the mountain. And there's many of these uh, in existence today. There museums around the world have different ones of these that have been found. So let's get into the into the chapter here. Uh, let's see. We have big sections of scripture today that we're going to cover. Some of these are going to be like ten verses. So if you want to read. I'd really appreciate it. If you don't, I'll read it. This one's a, a quick one. I'll just have you read one through three, someone. Anybody? Okay, go ahead. Josh, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Then King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seems good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay, thank you, Josh. Uh, one reason I like to have different people read is because we get different translations of the Bible. And it's just a little bit different, so follow along with your Bible. And when they're reading, notice some of the difference, and maybe bring that up and say, well, my Bible has this word. And, and sometimes there's, there's a reason for that. Uh, English language sometimes doesn't have uh, all the nuances of another language. So, so the translator has to decide which one of our words best fit what the context is. So uh, Now, notice Nebuchadnezzar here. He's praising the Most High God, right? He's, he's starting off... He's starting off this letter and he's talking about the most high God, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is eternal. Dominion endures from generation to generation. Let's go back to chapter 2 and remember. He says, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. So back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar spoke very highly of God. Now, another thing to keep in mind when we're reading the Bible, uh, I don't mean this as a criticism on the Bible, but you see the capital G's? Surely your God is a God of gods, and then a small g. If you read this in the Aramaic, that's exact same word. And in the original language, they didn't use uppercase and lowercase. So it was up to the translator to determine which case to use. Is, this, is he speaking about the Most High God, the God of creation, or is he speaking about just a God? Now, from what we saw in chapter 3, I'd have to think that Nebuchadnezzar was thinking little g all the way through here, not uppercase. You and I think uppercase because we believe in the God of gods, the king of kings, the god of creation. But when Nebuchadnezzar was speaking this, I believe he was thinking, he's just one god among many, and this one can interpret dreams. Oops, wrong button. And then in the fiery furnace, he refers to him as the most high god. Same word again. He's still speaking highly of God. Uh, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No other God can save in this way. And we'd, I would have liked to think that he got the point. Oh, go ahead. Bit of a rabbit trail question, but could have uh, Nebuchadnezzar came to faith later in his life, and maybe the account of 
chapter four is through that light of as he's getting older and closer to the end of his life, he's looking back on everything and he realizes that God, well, our God is the true God, mm -hmm. and he's re basically rewriting the account. Yeah, points that direction. I, I I sure hope that's true. Uh, it would it, if if it is true. We, it gives us some great confidence and some great hope for our leaders today. We've got a lot of leaders today that are right in Nebuchadnezzar's camp. They don't chop people's heads off with a, with a scimitar or a sword, but they are killing people in different ways. And they're, they're uh, destroying families and homes. And the church is not a popular uh, entity today. Uh, I think there's many who would like to do away with it. So yeah, I do hope that Nebuchadnezzar did come to faith. I'm, if I had to preach his funeral, <laughs> I wouldn't preach him into heaven. I wouldn't preach him out of heaven. I'd leave it up to you. That, that's, uh, that's where I'm at with Nebuchadnezzar. But, but anyway, uh, just to look back and to look at what he's saying now, and uh, he's, he's, he's using a lot more language and a lot more descriptors right now, so hopefully he got the point. Uh, the image and the visions. Uh, we've already read one through three, so if someone would pick up and take four through eight. Doug, thank you. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the, fanc the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy God, God's. And I told him the dream, saying. Okay, thank you, Doug. Okay, uh, Josh already ma mentioned this, but who's writing this chapter? Yeah. It appeared, well, who? I, Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Wouldn't he be quoting him? Well, I think so. Personally, yes. And that, that's kind of a question. Uh, one of the uh, theories is that Daniel is second in command, really, in, uh, in the whole Babylon. And he has access to all of the records. And he may be copying this from Nebuchadnezzar's record. So I think Nebuchadnezzar did make a record of this. We don't have it today. It would be great, wouldn't it, if we could find that tablet? Uh, but and, and maybe it will turn up. That's the one thing that's so interesting about the Bible. Every time the Bible gets attacked, uh, we don't have to go, oh, no, they got us this time. Just go, okay, wait, because it'll come out, and it does. Uh, so many, I mean, we could, we could have a whole hour of talking about all the times that uh, the naysayers have said the Bible is false because... And then even archaeology, non, non-believing archaeologists prove the Bible true. But yet when they use it, they treat it as fiction as far as uh, God's concerned, but as fact as far as finding geographical points. It's weird. So, so yeah, I, I, I believe that that would be the case. Nebuchadnezzar apparently wrote this section down because he's speaking in the first person now, and Daniel is copying it into his manuscript. So, uh, who is the chapter written to? Everybody. Everybody. All the, all the people, all the nations, all the languages. Does this, is this language a little bit throwback from last week, remember? Who bowed down to the, all the, well, what was the exact wording? All the peoples, nations, and languages. And it says, all the people, nations, and languages bowed down and worshipped the image. And now Nebuchadnezzar is writing to all the people, nations, and languages. So, that includes us. Uh, what was Nebuchadnezzar's state of mind 
before the dream came to him. Well, he was saying he was prospering and it was good, life was good. Life's good. Yeah. You ever heard the term fat, dumb, and happy? <laughs> I think that's where he was. Yeah. He's, life is good. And then, uh, how was he affected by the dream? He was afraid. Like now we're deja vu chapter two, right? He had the dream and he was, te- he was afraid and troubled. Same thing here, he's afraid and troubled by the dream. 9 through 17, big section. Somebody likes to read. Going once, Mike? Talking to me? <laughs> I don't like to read. Yeah, you do. Not really. Old Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no Wait. mystery baffles you, tell me my tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. The foliage was beautiful and the fruit abundant, and in, the, and in it was the food for all, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the fields found shade under it, and the birds in the sky dwelt in the branches, and all the living creatures Fed themselves, fed themselves from it. It was looking. I was looking in the visions in my mind, and I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows: Chop down the tree and cut off the branches, strip off the foliage and scatter the, its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it, and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it. In the the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and and let the beast's mind be given to him, and let the seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watcher, and and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the most high ruler over the realm of mankind and the bestowed and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowest of men. Okay, thank you, Mike. So, uh, I want to point out one thing from the previous reading here. When Daniel comes in, verse 8, but as, at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. Now this one, this little, this little sentence sends up a flag in my head. Because Nebuchadnezzar is writing this after the fact, right? And he still says that he's named after my God, Bel. So, little, just, I see these little red flags and I don't know, maybe I'm too critical. I can't judge the man's heart, but I can judge his words. Okay, uh, now another thing in this one, uh, the word watchers. Do, does, do you all have watchers in your translation? Does it have that word watchers? That's only used in the book of Daniel. That's the only time that that term is used. It's, uh, apparently it's an Aramaic term. Uh, it pertains to angels, holy ones. Uh, if any of you have ever read the book of Enoch, have you read that? 
it's a it's a what would you call that? It, it's not a it's not pseudepigrapha or apocrypha. It's not even a biblical book, no. uh, it, but it's it's supposedly written by Enoch, and when you read the whole thing, you get to thinking that it probably is not written by Enoch, the Enoch who walked with God and was no more, the man from uh, from in Genesis. But he uses the term watchers to describe angels. That's the only other time I've heard watchers. Any. Anybody else got anything on that? Do you know? Yeah. But apparently uh, it's an Aramaic term, and they're using it here to describe angels. So, uh, well, I'll get it all at once. No, we don't. Okay. How is this tree described? Some of the descriptors. Powerful, provider, uh, protector. So, describing something like that, which, what I thought was interesting is reading before the chapter, before the verses before where he says, My, the most high God kind of puts himself in that category, mm-hmm. but yet the angel describes the most powerful and then chops it down. Yeah. And then says it's the decree of the most high God. The decree of the like most. Like throwing the words back at him. Yeah. This is a different God that you don't know. One you, may not one you haven't haven't recognized yet. Yeah. 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 Good point. And it's huge, Doug. Yeah, I've been saying it says you could see it from all the earth. Yeah. I think it meant known earth. Okay. okay. Yeah. Somebody opposite of it would have a little trouble, but anyway, it was big, huge, and beautiful. It says its foliage was was beautiful, and you know it had plenty of fruit, like he says, protector. So it was a majestic tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only way you can describe it. It's yeah. huge. And you saw the, the, the uh, pictures of Babylon. It, it was beautiful. It was, it was, no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, I don't know where this comes from, but one of the seven wonders of the ancient world is the hanging gardens of Babylon, yet there is no physical evidence for that, only... Only uh, written evidence and, and uh, what would you call it? Uh, vote, vis- people speak of it, but there's no there's no pictures of it. And I guess he built it for one of his wives who who uh, came from the mountains, and he built it for her to make her feel more at home. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of beauty there. And uh, and this is just my belief. I believe that because Nebuchadnezzar had four men who were basically running the kingdom for him. And he had time to do this work. He, he, had, he had taken the world. He'd, he'd conquered the area that he wanted to conquer. He got four men who are doing all the work. He probably, they check in with them probably. They had, I don't suppose they had Skype back then, so they probably did it in person. They went met together and, and uh, what's going on today, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know. And, uh, okay, good job, keep it up. I've got to go build a temple over here in Barsipia. And uh, so he had these four guys to do the to do the work. Well, he built this place, and yeah, it was it was providing for for people. Uh, of course, he was using slaves to do his work too. But but uh, that would be the tree. It was the huge tree. Uh, <clears throat> what was the holy one's message? Cut it down, yeah. Where, where were we here? 1917. Yeah. Uh, chop down the tree, strip off its branches, scatter it. Uh, so he, he, he's got this great, big, beautiful image. Now, do you remember the, the, the first image that troubled Nebuchadnezzar? The statue? The statue. Yeah. Big, beautiful statue made of precious metals. And in the end, what happened? It all came down, right? Uh, God, God hit it, hit the feet, and it all came down. Hit it right down there where, it, uh, where its roots were, and crumbled and crushed it to pieces. And here we go, same thing again. And uh, also, I didn't point this out, but did you notice that in this time he didn't demand that they reveal what's going on, Anna? She's teasing me. Okay. Uh, 
he did. He doesn't. He doesn't uh, demand that the uh, astrologers give him the vision. He he tells them the dream, and they can't interpret it. And just like the last time, also <clears throat> he gives them the chance first, and then finally Belshazzar, named after my God, who's also known as Daniel, comes in and gives him the interpretation. Uh, What's the purpose of the dream? We're told the purpose of the dream. Nebuchadnezzar is told the purpose of the dream. Verse 17. It's in order to form the living, the people, who God is. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, what I come out of it was... God puts you as a leader in the world and God can tear you down. He puts you there and he can take it away. And to grab your attention saying, I'm your, I'm the God. Yeah. Because before that he's always trying to make himself a God. Yeah. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is writing to all the peoples, nations, and languages. And the watcher saying here, he's saying, and I want them all. He says, all the living may know. Not just you, Nebuchadnezzar, but I want all the living to know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to him every will, and to Omer, and to Omer the lowliest of men. One, one thing that was, <clears throat> but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. That was, uh, I think, a sign of it can't grow back. God was not going to let it grow back. God was going to keep it controlled. And so the tree was cut down, never to come back. Okay. We're going to find out. Daniel's going to give us the interpretation of that okay. in, the, in the next part. So let's, let's, let's move on to that one. Okay, 18 through 27. translation is that? The New Living. The New Living? Yeah. <clears throat> this is why I like to hear different translations. There's so many. I even read this in the message. You familiar with the message? It's not one I recommend, but it's, it's, it's got some interesting stuff in it. 
For example, he says, I told my, I told my Chaldeans, and they couldn't make heads nor tails of it, he says. That's the language he used. And uh, so it's colorful. I wouldn't say you should use it as your primary Bible, but it's fun to read. So uh, what was Daniel's response to the dream? Yeah, yeah, probably. But what does he say? Uh, my trans. Uh, let, let's let's go back. May the dream concerning those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. And uh, I'm sorry. What's your name? Susie. Judy. What? Susie. Okay. What did you say? Yeah, uh, I, I think Daniel likes the old guy. He, he kind of likes this old rascal. He says, I wish this was about your enemies and not you. I think they've, they've, they've formed a friendship. You've got friends who are not Christian. And you don't want bad things to happen to them. Even though they're, they're rascals, you like them. Maybe even you, you may even love the guy uh, or gal. Uh, but... You don't want anything bad to happen to them. And you hear something bad, they've got a disease, and oh man, I wish that wouldn't happen to you. And there's also the aspect of when a king is dethroned, everybody under that king is now in danger from the new king. But I I like your interpretation of of being friends, but also the concern for the people. Yeah, Daniel's concern for the people. And, and on that point, uh, there was a period of time <clears throat> suggested in, in, uh, in secular history that what was it? Evil Merodach was his son, uh, took, stood in for him during his illness, during his mental illness. So, so this goes to show you if your leader succumbs to something, that the minions around them that are in second, third, fourth charge are afoot, and sometimes they cause chaos in the country. Yeah. We kind of have that problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah true story. Uh, it, there, there is, amazingly, there is no evidence that there was chaos in the, in the nation during this period of time, though. Well, like you said earlier, though, he had four people doing all the work, so there was... That's no, true, too. no transition to be made. Yeah, now these guys probably just carried on. Yeah, good point. Uh, and how does Daniel interpret the tree? You, O king. Right? Just like, just like chapter 2. You, O king, are that head of gold. Now this time, the entire tree. You, O king. And it's you know, you have grown. And, and he, he make, let, lets them know that it's God that uh, helped, that made him grow. Uh, how does Daniel interpret the messenger? This might be hard, I probably didn't word this quite right, but who is, Daniel tells us who the messenger is. Yeah, this this message is from heaven. This, This didn't come from one of your gods, this came from the Holy One, the the Almighty God. Uh, Daniel gives advice. Kind of, kind of. This isn't part of the vision. This isn't an interpretation of the vision. Daniel's just throwing this in for free. Which goes to your point of saying that he might have liked him or had, you know, care for him. Yeah. That advice, like, please stop in your sin. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, John MacArthur yesterday. And I came across this article uh, last night when I was reading. Uh, John MacArthur, do you all know who John MacArthur is? He's, okay, he's a well-known name in the the Christian world. Uh, Very excellent Bible teacher. Written numerous books and commentaries and such. Uh, He wrote an open letter to Governor Newsom. And did you see that? And he's... uh, 
speaking up against Newsom's policies on transgenderism, uh, he calls it slaughtering innocent babies. And MacArthur's words, uh, he's, he's putting it out there real boldly. And, uh, and uh, what transgenderism, homelessness, uh, crime, uh, abortion, uh, you name it. MacArthur brings this all up in his letter. And then he ends the letter with this. <clears throat> My concern, Governor Newsom, is that your own soul lies in grave eternal peril. You will stand in the presence of the holy God who created you, who is your judge, and he will demand that you give an account for how you, how you have flouted his authority in your governing and how you have twisted his own holy word to rationalize it. As you look over the precipice of eternity, what will your answer be? That reminded me of David talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, whether Newsom hears him or not, or whether he even reads that or not, I'm, I'm sure it'll be brought to his attention. Uh, but who knows? Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. Any, anyone can be humbled. Apparently, uh, and I haven't seen this, but Newsom has put out uh, highway bulletin boards across the nation with, I don't know what the scripture verse is, but it's, uh, is that what it is? And he's using it to justify abortion, right? Yeah, love your neighbor as you love yourself. How, how do you make that leap? Uh, but, and that's what MacArthur... He's also telling him not to move to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't move to Texas. Yeah. Stay here. I would agree. Don't move to Wyoming either. So, so, uh, so Daniel Daniel puts in that advice, and there again, a pastor mentioned that when when Daniel first got this vision, he probably was fear of his own life too, but yet he speaks out boldly. He doesn't hold back. Uh, oh, that I had that kind of boldness. You know, I wish, wish I did. Uh, okay, the vision fulfilled, 28 through 34. I'll read this one. Okay, somebody got his hand up? Amen. <laughs> all, this came, uh, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, this is um, and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling will be with the, with the beasts of the field, and you will be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you, the Most High, rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to you and he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, who was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. And uh, You can read the whole verse. Okay. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who is forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. Okay, thank you. All right. So, What was the initial effect when Daniel, well, this is 12 months later, right? From the time Daniel says after 12 months, after Daniel gives him the interpretation. But we can kind of put the pieces together. 12 months later, what's his mindset? What's his, what's, proud, yeah. He's still fat, dumb, and happy. Didn't change at all. He's living, living the good life. And he's walking around, and what's he say about Babylon? He's taking all the power. Yeah, yeah, that I built. This is what I 
for my majesty. Yeah. What does God want the king to learn? Well, we've that, that God is sovereign. That God is controlling. Mm-hmm. That was that was the point. Yeah. Okay, I was going to bring this up to uh, the word time here, and we're going to we're going to come across this again later in in some of the other prophecies where Daniel uses this word time for a period. Uh, again, it's Aramaic, of course, because this book is written in Aramaic. It's an Aramaic word that specifies a certain period of time, usually a year. And, and it's, I, I don't know of anybody who interprets this any other way than for a year's period. So we're, when the prophecy is given for seven times, uh, in fact, some of your translations may even say for seven years. Does anybody say that or do you all have times in it? Some have interpreted it to be years, but we normally interpret it as years. Okay, at what point does the king's sanity return? What happens with it? Well, at one point, it's after, after, verse 34, at the end of the time, the time specified, right, which was, we believe, seven years. And then there was something that had to happen on Nebuchadnezzar's part. He had to look up, look up to heaven. Uh, Boy, this sounds like a this sounds like a real uh, sounds like my conversion experience. Uh, I had to be brought down pretty low before I looked up. Uh, the harder your heart, the, the lower you have to go, I guess. And uh, thank God I didn't have to crawl around on my hands and knees for seven years. But <laughs> came pretty came pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe you didn't, didn't remember it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was the '60s, right? <laughs> Actually, it wasn't. It was in the '80s when I came to the Lord finally. But yeah, they say those who remember the '60s weren't there. Is that anyway? One thing is, God gave him the mind to go into the field and eat grass, mm-hmm. and God took it away. Now. Was it was it him looking to heaven, or God in His mind changing it to where He said, "I need to look up." I don't know. What do you think? I think it was all of God. All of God. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 well, is, isn't that what the Scripture says? There's none, none who seek Him. Yeah. yeah I, I, no, I didn't find God. He didn't do it of his own yeah. Yeah. Of free will. I, I, I agree. One of the things I was thinking about when you're talking about when he's eating the in the beasts of the field, he's eating the grass. It's kind of like wallowing in sin. Mm-hmm. And you know there's a God that exists, but you're ignoring him or shaking your fist at him or I'm going to do what I want to do. He's doing that and he can't even help his sin. I mean, he's doing that. Obviously, God kind of turned him over to mm-hmm. his sin, yeah. so to speak. And he can't even help himself. Yet, until God pulls him out of that yeah. and then changes his heart. And that's what kind of experience I felt in my life. And uh, you know he's there. You know it's God, but you're shaking your fist and you're still living the way you want to live. Right. And mm-hmm. then God changes you. And then you start looking up. Paul wrote it, uh, by faith you've been saved, mm-hmm. in this not of yourself. So even the faith that saved us, we couldn't generate that in our own self. God had to give that to us. So God had to be the one to cause Nebuchadnezzar to look up. And moved his heart, he looked up. And the king's eyes are open, 34 through 35. 
And at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? You think he got the message? It sure looks like it. And then... uh, 36 through 37, at the same time, my reason returned to me, and here's where I get worried, and for my glory, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles restored me, I was restored to the kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are true and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. Well, he experienced that. Uh, so, did he get the message? I sure hope so. Uh, be, be pretty be something to meet him in heaven one day and be a totally different guy than what the one the one we picture <laughs> in in my mind's eye. You know, I I picture a very hard, stern. Well, which is what he was. You don't bow down, you go in the fire. You don't interpret my dream, I'll rip your limbs off and tear down your houses. But but look at Paul, his transformation. Look at us, our transformation. So God can God can change hard hearts. I complain about our government way more than I pray about it, and that's on me. I think we need to be praying because if God can reach Nebuchadnezzar, uh, John MacArthur wrote a letter to Newsom. We could write letters to our politicians, but we certainly can pray for them. They probably wouldn't wouldn't read our letter if we sent it to them, but we can sure pray for them. And uh, I wish I spent every minute praying that I did complaining. Maybe things would turn around. Any other thoughts or Comments? Complaints? Oh, thank Mike that this thing all works now. Mike is the one who got that set up. Good job, Mike. Kudos. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We know that you're a a God who can change hearts. You did change our hearts. And we were no, my heart was no softer than Nebuchadnezzar's. It was just as hard. I just didn't have the power that he had. And uh, you changed me, and apparently you changed his. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us leadership that would acknowledge you. And those who don't acknowledge you, I pray that you would humble them and uh, bring them face to face and to knowledge of the true and the living God, the Most High God. Dismiss us in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you.